Hello and welcome to the Caring Instinct. We've got a very special episode ready for you today. We're talking to Ash, Ash Brandon, the gamer educator. Ash uh, has been teaching middle school for 12 years and they've taught everything from electives to music to math to social studies. They have an education specialist degree, EDS. That's, I think it's a little bit different in the UK. To me, it's like it's almost a PhD. Yeah, it, it basically means I was too lazy to write a dissertation. Like I, I did all the coursework for a, uh, for a doctorate, and I didn't write a dissertation. So, yeah. <laughs> My husband's got a master's in digital education, and he did a whole semester on video games. He was mm. like, I'm not just playing, I'm researching here, I'm studying <laughs> for half a year. He milked it as much as he could. But the dissertation is uh, much, yeah, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> Through their amazing Instagram account, at the Gamer Educator, Ash shares advice on how to manage screens sustainably so that they can benefit whole families. Their advice comes from their background and experience in pedagogy and education, as well as growing up with video games. I'll just say I couldn't recommend this uh, account more because it's everything from buying guides was Christmas and we were like right what does the gamer educator say <laughs> uh, our seven-year-old wants something digital what shall we do uh, two insights into behaviors feelings around video games uh, video games and young brains and parents the dance we all have to find around video games so I'd like to start with this quote from um, an organizational psychologist and best-selling author, Adam Grant. Instead of telling kids not to play video games, adults should play too. Compared to kids who don't play, those who play three hours a day have better working memory and impulse control. Experiments show cognitive benefits for adults too. Video games are a form of exercise for the brain. And he quotes some studies here. Could you comment for us, please? It's fascinating. It's very funny that you chose that quote because that post that Adam made um, was actually how he and I got connected. So he had me on his podcast, Rethinking, um, a couple of months ago. And okay. That, uh, and so that that was a great interview that kind of came out of that post he made um, because when he initially made it, a lot of people who follow him and there were a lot of like big names and big accounts that were following him their initial reaction was basically i don't i don't believe that <laughs> or okay or um i don't care if that's what the data says they're still bad and i encounter that a lot in the mm. space that i'm in um which is why i sometimes say you know data are great but they don't ultimately matter sometimes because often we just have these preconceived ideas that are kind of hard for us to get over with games um and so i actually that's how we got connected because i commented on that post and and gave some more context around that study and why I found the results particularly interesting. And then um, he reached out to me and we got to talk from there. So it's funny that you bring that up. But um, that study in particular was looking at um, working memory and some aspects of executive function. And what I found most interesting in that study was that they were actually looking at kids who play what is generally defined as an excessive amount. So three hours a day. 
Exactly, three hours a day. And Mm. three hours a a day is often, depending on what study you read, it's often kind of this threshold of of starting to tip over into excessive play. And so when that study first came out, a lot of people, a lot of my followers were linking it to me and saying, isn't this great? And um, look at this. But then also people were saying like, but that's so much, you know, are they really advocating Mm. for, for playing three hours a day to get cognitive benefit? But one aspect of that study that was so interesting was they looked not only at the cognitive benefit, but they also looked at negative behavioral outcomes to see if there were negative outcomes for the kids who were playing that much per day. And they found that there were not. So that's a common thing that we hear is, oh, okay, well, maybe they're going to get a little better in one thing, but they're going to have all these negative outcomes because of that that amount of play. And that particular study um, found that that wasn't the case. But yeah, I mean, the exercise of your of your brain part, yeah, video games often ignite things that interest us and they often present basically learning and challenges in ways that are uh, really motivating because we're invested in the game itself and often because the game is presenting um, challenges and information to us in ways that keep us intrinsically motivated to keep going. And then when we do it, we feel great, we feel accomplished, and we want to keep trying. In that way, yeah, that kind of exercise of the brain part really does come through that way sometimes. Intrinsically motivated. Yeah. So, something comes up for me, there's, it's like with children, a lot of the, their activities, stuff, they kind of... They, it's almost like they get hijacked a lot if with sport, uh, music, uh, dance, you know, all that, uh, the classic academic subjects anyway at school, you know, there's lessons to be learned. Whereas gaming, this is your own thing. You, you're in it on your, you start it on your own. I mean, to do it, you have to have intrinsic, otherwise you wouldn't be doing it, right? So Exactly. It's funny that we sometimes resent the intrinsic motivation that games give kids but if they if they presented that intrinsic motivation for any of those other activities that you mentioned we would be thrilled yeah right if they were intrinsically motivated to to go to to swim practice if they were intrinsically motivated to draw or read we would be thrilled and if they wanted to do it for four hours a day we'd probably think wow they love this so much we wouldn't be like my kid wants to swim for four hours a day. They're obsessed with swimming. <laughs> but when it's games, then it's much harder for us sometimes to see that that same value in the motivation itself. But ultimately, that intrinsic motivation is, is still the same. It's coming from the same psychological place. Games are anything that we enjoy doing that gives us intrinsic motivation is making us feel competent because we're achieving something autonomous because we get to decide what we're doing or and related connected to other people and that those present in different ways depending on the activity depending on the video game depending on the personality um but like you said kids are often told what to do all day long they often have very little control over their lives um and so if they get a chance to kind of escape into a reality of video games they're completely in control and they're deciding what to do and where to go and how many times to try something and and that their reality in that is all in their control and that's a big feeling of of autonomy that they don't get in a lot of other parts of their lives 
Yes, and I think uh, what you mentioned about people being wary of the uh, negative influences influences of video games. This comes a lot of it comes from learning theory, the idea that what the input is is going to be what will come out. They will do what they're exposed to, and that hence maybe this this apprehension about what children might do in video games, you know, seven-year-old whacking zombies in Minecraft. What does it mean for them in real life? But the truth is, it's expressive rather than teaching them. Yeah, expressive is a great word for that. Little, like Younger kids especially often do these sort of fantastic kind of pretend play. Um, you know, we might see a little kid using their toy dinosaurs and it one is you know destroying a city or crushing cars and we don't look at that and go oh no <laughs> you know they're gonna grow up and be destructive because we know that more violent or destructive play can be completely developmentally appropriate and we also look at that and go oh well they're playing they're imagining they know that this isn't really real or we have conversations with them around how this isn't really real. But again, then that gets transferred into an online digital world. And it does look and feel a little bit more realistic because it's getting, you know, played out in a more realistic way. And then we assume that somehow they cannot separate reality and play anymore, even though we knew they could uh, in other parts of their lives. But then again, with games and we worry, oh, maybe they can't separate it. But generally, the research uh, does support that exposure to violent video games or playing violent video games does not lead to, uh, you know, destructive or violent behavior. And in some studies, it actually shows the opposite, that playing um, yeah. violent video games actually can lead to lower levels of aggression, which makes sense because if you have yeah. those feelings and you're expressing them in some way, then it can be a way of kind of blowing off steam and getting rid of those feelings in exactly. a way that is safe. You know, because it's not happening in the real world. Yeah, that's such a great point as well, that, that that expression that comes with the video games, that they can really help the emotion move within us. And a lot of the ones that are the most popular are the ones with the emotions that we kind of, maybe we don't accept as much generally in society. Is that right? Would you say that? I mean, I guess, I guess so. I hadn't really thought of it quite that way. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting way to think about it, especially a lot of games that I, I mean, I work in a middle school. So like a lot of games that are particularly popular for that kind of age group are often games where you can kind of do whatever you want. So, again, that feeling mm -hmm. of like control and autonomy and also typically be playing alongside or in relation to other people. Um, so, you know, Minecraft, Roblox games, you know, Fortnite and those definitely also sometimes have those themes of violence. I will also say that I think part of the reason that those become so popular is also because they're in what's called a free-to-play game model, um, yeah. meaning they don't cost any money initially. And that actually can be a very problematic game structure um, in terms of how it motivates people. It's very different than how a game that you pay for is going to motivate you because they have different goals. The game company has different goals. One, mm -hmm. if, if you buy a game up front that company has your money they they you've already they've already sold you the product um they just want you to be happy with it but if you haven't paid any money for a game up front 
then they actually don't want you to be happy with it on its own. If you're happy yeah. with it on its own, they don't make money. So then they have to incentivize spending money. So I, I that's kind of a chicken and an egg. These are the these are the like the iPad games, right? In the the classic those the, kind of uh, Yeah, many of them. <laughs> um, but you know, games like Fortnite and and many Roblox games. I mean, those are generally free to play, and they are their PC, their phone games. They can be console games. Um, mm. And, you know, it's interesting because especially app games, like you mentioned, many of them are free to play model. And you can generally tell because it'll say like free. And then you've mentioned we'll go like in-app purchases. We'll say like yeah. in very tiny print. And sometimes it's fine. You know, sometimes it's just perfectly fine. And then you get an occasional ad and then you move on. But then some games actually make it much they, they make the play experience much different depending on whether or not you're paying for it. So like in Fortnite, for example, if you don't pay for Fortnite, you I, you can't really customize your character. You have very limited options on what your character can look like. There's only certain outfits, which are called skins, that your for, your character can have. You, you can't access certain weapons and therefore you're not going to do as well. And so the message you're getting is, oh, if I want to have fun in this game, I need to spend money. Yeah. And that's psychologically very similar to like gambling, which is why I try to really make a distinction that, you know, those games are doing very different things because they, they really have different goals. They still might give you those same feelings of, you know, now I'm playing with my friends. Now I'm getting to decide what to do. Um, but sometimes the structure of them can be a little more insidious. Oh, yeah. No, I really appreciate this is something I found on your Instagram and uh, that's really helped me because I get, oh, your son's downloading this. Do you get, uh, give a parental approval? And I just look whether in-app purchases are allowed and without having to find out a lot about the game itself, I already know whether it will be just frustrating enough to want him to spend more, to spend money or to ask me for money and all that. And that that is brilliant this information and another one that I really appreciate is uh, how you talk about when the child or an adult for that reason is playing there's so much going on in our minds and so little going on in our bodies so even though the emotions might be running really really high they're not embodied emotions uh, we're pretty static except for the thumbs and uh, we get dysregulated. Could you talk about that, please? I just love this. Absolutely. So, you know, one thing that I often recommend that has been very successful for, for my family and, and is rooted, you know, in the way we kind of understand psychologically is to have gaming be, you know, consistent or predictable, meaning that it's not used sporadically or as a reward, because then that becomes a scarce resource and people mm -hmm. then are wondering like, well, when am I going to have it? What, and maybe I have to beg, maybe I have to cry, maybe I have to sneak it. And when it's predictable, then it just kind of becomes another part of the day. But something that I often then hear after that is, well, I'm, we're doing it predictably and they get their half hour every day, but then they're still so mad or they get so upset. Mm -hmm. or, you know, they're getting something happens in the game and then they're having a complete meltdown. They seem fine and then they're they're not fine at all. And like that must be the game's fault. And like you were saying, often what we don't see unless we're really sitting on the couch or we're really aware of of all they're doing in the game is that we don't often see the things that are kind of taking an emotional toll 
you know, maybe they've been sitting there for a half hour and they've been trying the same level 50 times and maybe they've made no progress. <laughs> and so for the last half hour, they've been getting the message, I can't do this. I'm not good at this. I'm failing at this. And they're trying and thinking and coming up with new ideas and every single time they're failing. You know, if, if we watched a kid try a math problem 50 times and we actually saw that evidence of like every answer they got wrong, we would probably feel frustrated for them. You know, we would realize, oh, wow, that feels really bad. If we watched a kid sign up for soccer and they lose every game and they lose every shot, we would see that and think, oh, wow, like they're going to be in a really hard place. And But in video games, we often miss that. We're often not even seeing everything they're doing and they might not verbalize or articulate that everything they're doing is going wrong that day or that they made it this close to the end and then they died and now they're out of time and they can't try again and all those mm. feelings are incredibly real and then like you mentioned unlike some activities where they might be moving their bodies their brain is going through all of this emotional turmoil but their body is not doing anything and so their brain's kind of in one place and their body's in another and it's then those two are not in parallel with each other and that can often result in some dysregulation some emotional dysregulation and so one of the best things that i have found for that is you know an ounce of prevention is is worth more than a pound of cure as we say um that sometimes if i'm noticing some little tells that my child might have they might get a little loud i've noticed that if they're getting loud that they're that probably were getting dysregulated and they might sound perfectly happy, but they're getting loud or if they're getting squirrely or antsy, sometimes I'll just say, hey, we're going to pause and we'll do some quick regulatory thing. We'll, you know, do some flips upside down. They'll do jumping jacks. I'll say, quick, do five push-ups. you know, run up and down the hall, just something to build in a little bit of a break not only for their body, but to kind of get the two back in sync. And then sometimes that helps kind of de-escalate. And sometimes we also have to offer that when, you know, when the screen time is done and they might be in that more heightened dysregulated place as a way of kind of calming them. And the reason I think that's really important instead of just saying, well, we'll just have less, let's just get rid of video games is that emotional dysregulation is going to happen in their lives, whether it's games or not. Uh, it's going to happen in other parts of their lives too. And so when we can teach the skill of regulation and recognizing, wow, I'm upset. Wow, I'm getting frustrated. I need, I need to take a break. When we're building that skill in something that is as emotionally heightened as video games, it's going to become easier for them to do that on their own, which is what we want. We want them to be able to step away from something and take a break when they need to. And that's hard to do if we don't model them through the process. Exactly. Yeah, what comes up for me when you talk yeah. as well is a lot of the time when children are playing games on, on the uh, computer games, they're on their own, but you're, you're quite attuned to your child or children. Is it children or child? I, I just have one, but I don't child. use pronouns or their name, uh, like just for anonymity's sake. So Yeah, okay. You stay attuned to them and you kind of, you, you know, you pick up where my sense is a lot of the time... Uh, children are just going to be in the corner or you know we're doing something else compare that to say if they're doing a maths like like you use maths activities like, well we're much likely to be keeping a bit of a night you know no checking in on them we kind of we disconnect from maybe a bit more is that what happens 
Yeah, and often screens and tech are often serving a purpose. You know, this is something yeah. I say yeah. a lot that, you know, screens are often serving a purpose for whole families. And that is perfectly valid. Like, that is a valid use of screen. You know, my child is often playing video games when I'm making dinner. Yeah. And in our house, it's basically one big room. So I can be very, like, present, even though I'm not in the room. But it, but it's not that I'm standing over them every second aware of what they're doing. I, we just kind of keep a conversation going. And honestly, it's a lot of me going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of me saying essentially nothing. Um but, you know, if my child says, like, oh, wow, I got third place, I'll just say, oh, wow, you know, or how do you feel about that? Because I actually don't know. Maybe that's bad. <laughs> Some days third place is bad. Some days it's great. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm in the kitchen, you know, chopping something, and I'm like, wow, what did you do? How'd that go? What are you going to do next time? Just kind of general things that kind of keep the conversation going. But to your point... That's also like a privilege. Like I'm not needing to attend to the needs of another child or work during that time. And there are times that I do. There are times where I'm like, I am not available. You know, you're doing this and I need to be in a meeting or I need to do something else. Mm -hmm. And then I am just hoping like, I hope it goes okay today. I can't really intervene much today. Um, and that's partially why I do try in the moments where I can be more present to be present. So that when I have the capacity to help build in those skills or awareness for my child, I am. So that then I can kind of use that on the other side when I might not be able to be as present. Kind of like making deposits and withdrawals, if you will. Would you potentially choose or suggest a different game to play? I know we've been in situations when I've said, no, we won't be playing... I don't know, Minecraft survival, just creative, because I know I can't be as present. No, yeah. I think that's a great strategy. There was one time recently we were trying to attend a, like a family teacher conference for my child virtually. My child sh was not supposed to attend and both parents were. And, uh, and we just sort of like set them in front of the TV and said like very straight out like, we are in the other room. We're not available. And that's very unusual for us that both of us yeah. are like not available in, in like at all. And said, you know, we're going to turn on whatever show we'd chosen and said, like, this is the only show you're going to watch. You know, you're not going to open YouTube. You're not going to go to other things. You're just on this because we're not available right now. You know, we're over here. Um, so, yeah, setting you want to set up everyone for success, right? If you're going to be in an important work meeting or you really need exactly. 20 minutes to yourself, you don't want to have to be running back and forth, navigating whatever it is they're dealing with. And that's also important for them to learn too. And sometimes we have to kind of verbalize some of that. Like, yeah, I noticed when you play Minecraft survival, you're much louder. You need my help or I'm having to help you with calming down. And I'm not really available for that. So you know, my job is to keep you safe and I can't help you with that right now. So Minecraft creative is what's available. And, you know, a big part of everything we do in parenting is those boundaries and figuring out, you know, the boundaries that are okay with screens. And it's not always just screens are available or they're not. There's a lot more nuance in there. And so sometimes we have to figure out exactly what those boundaries look like for us, which can take a lot of experimentation. You said earlier video games competence, autonomy, and relational uh, relation Relate. meaning. 
Yeah, the, relatedness um, is often relatedness, what they, yeah. connection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this. Yeah, it's almost like a motivation for adults as well is competence, autonomy, and meaning, isn't it? In workplaces, so it's almost like children are human as well. Right? <laughs> 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 uh, so I was leading to this relational component. Uh, could we talk about that, please? Because that's another another apprehension about video games. Oh, they are asociable, antisocial. We we lose our social skills when we play video games. That that's the fear. That's that's what uh, people are concerned about. Yeah. So. Th- those aspects of intrinsic motivation, you know, competence, timing, relatedness, those are all from um, self-determination theory, which is a theory by the psychologists Desi and Ryan, which they came up with, like, I think in the 80s. And yeah, that definitely was not kid-specific. It's just human. It's just human psychology. We're all that way. You know, relatedness is kind of interesting because that's going to be very dependent on people and what they want. You know, I, I actually like a lot of independent things or if I'm doing something alongside others I want it to be kind of like parallel but we're not really that involved Mm -hmm. like group sports is like a nightmare for me I don't want anyone relying on me for anything (laughs) so like I I avoid things like that so video games like that I also really don't enjoy Um, but many kids you know love that because it's essentially a social like it's a social opportunity so it's interesting thinking about the idea of you know, this kind of, it's like an anti-social activity. One, many games kids play now are not. I mean, they're really constantly involved with each other. If they're not like talking, mm-hmm. then they're, you know, involved in some way playing with one another. But it also just brings up the point that doing one thing that might be less social does not mean that that's your whole life. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, t- I do many things that might be seen as, you know, antisocial. Like I like to bake. I'm not baking alongside other people. I like to do it because I'm alone and I'm kind of just decompressing and I'm quiet. And I do like to do it because it's something I do on my own. But we would never tell someone that likes to bake that they're antisocial. You know, or becoming never... antisocial because right. of their baking. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, but that's all you want to do is bake. You're becoming such a, like a recluse with your baking. But instead, we would probably view it as a more valid use of time. And if someone is really concerned, oh, I'm so concerned that's all my kid wants to do is play games and I'm worried they're not going to have a social life. Well, we are the adults and like we get to decide how much of that is okay. Mm. And if we do want a child who can grow up into an adult and go to college and move into a dorm or into their own apartment and be able to stop playing video games and go hang out with friends or go to class, then we do have to teach them how to have that balance before they get there. And part of that is is instating boundaries around the balance. So yeah, if you are concerned about that, then put in the boundary of, hey, that's all the game time we're going to have today. And now we're going to go for a walk or now we're going to go hang out with friends so that we're, again, showing them how to have that balance with our guidance so that they might be able to do it when, when we're not there. The concern that I have and is the world of seven and eight year olds is when they, when they are in a video game together, they're basically rolling right back a couple of developmental stages in terms of their social skills. They don't see each other. They're just in a game and 
they do things that they won't do in a physical game if they were face to face they will go and just kill each other kill all the like remove all the inventory disappears oh my god tears i will only ever play with dad which i think was dad's best day ever and will never play with my friends <laughs> things like that yeah i actually this is very well timed i'm i was just thinking about and making some content on this the other day and i kind of talked about this a little bit before but probably not enough that video games can be a great way to practice you know real life skills in digital worlds that really are still real we are often talking to kids or about the importance of you know digital literacy and media literacy and media safety and a lot of times we're trying to tell kids, you know, that things we do online are real. You know, the things we say online yep. are real yep. and they feel the same as if you say it in person. And so sometimes those opportunities or those things that come up, like you mentioned, they're not pleasant, um, but they can be ways of navigating that the same way we would talk about it as if they were in person. And they can also be good ways of, of just kind of getting them to maybe be introspective or think about it. Like, hey, would you have done that if you were here together? Mm. Like, if your friend were sitting on the couch, would you have killed his character in front of him? You wouldn't? Oh, I wonder why that felt okay to do here. Like, do you do you think he's upset? Do you think it would be hard to see him upset if he were here? Oh, it would be. Oh, okay. So is it easier to do that because he's not here? And just, like, talking through, like, the feelings as a way of, of kind of bridging and talking about, you know, empathy and, and relational things, um, I think can be really helpful. And um, sometimes we don't really know what we need to talk about or target as parents until we see the behavior. And then we're like, oh, yeah. I didn't even know I needed to tell you not to do that. <laughs> now I have to feel like I'm putting out fires, you know. Um, but the other thing that can be helpful with playing with multiple people is you know, starting with expectations. Um, and, and if we're, as I think this is easy to do if we're playing with our kids, you know, if we're playing with our kids or there's multiple kids in the room that are playing together, we can say, okay, what's one thing that you want to do when you're playing today? What's one thing you want to do today? Mm. Um, let's make sure we both have time to do those things or, Hey, if we're playing together and I can't beat the boss, I want to try one more time before I give you the controller. Or, hey, if I don't know what to do, please don't please don't shout at me what you think I should do. Please let me figure it out. And I'll let you know if I want suggestions, because ultimately, a lot of the skills that come up with this is just communication. <laughs> you know, it's just interpersonal communication skills. And I think we get into these environments where maybe we don't see people or it's not a situation that we had planned for. And then kids just kind of go off instinct and um, sometimes giving them some ways of, you know, setting some boundaries and rules, even with playing with each other, might, might set them up for some more success. It comes back to that Adam Grant quote for me as well, isn't it? Adults should play with children because we can't just leave them in that world alone. I mean, this if, if we're in there as well, yeah, these things might still happen, but we'll be there to be attuned and, you know, we'll know what to do in that, in that, in that space. Yeah, that's the I, catch. I, yeah. <laughs> the what? Sorry. Well, that's the, the babysitter video game, and half of the time adults haven't got the time or the interest yeah, to yeah. Uh, right. find out about video games. 
What I think is interesting is that, you know, I sometimes adults will say like, well, my kid's frustrated in this game and I don't know what to do or I don't know how to help them. And I think like, well, how do you think your kid figured it out? You know, mm-hmm. you have socks older than your kid and they figured it out like they did it. They went in, they tried stuff. You know, they sat down and they they just tried and then they figured it out. And sometimes I think we're sometimes hesitant to do that because we think, well, it's not my thing or I don't like it. Um, But like you mentioned, when we have more awareness of it, then we can be even more informed and proactive in the conversations that we're having around it. All of that to say, it's also helpful to just have some good back pocket things that you can say or have ready that kind of don't matter what the game is you know like I mentioned earlier I say a lot of like how did that feel what are you going to try how'd that go for you tell me one great thing that happened today when you were playing um what's something you're going to do next time you know super open-ended I mean I could be talking to them about anything right that could be games that could be you know football that could be that could be learning to read but those same kind of open-ended questions we might ask about other activities we can ask the same about games and then chances are when we give them that entryway they probably will want to tell us a lot they, they like to share about things they like they do where we are from with the attachment-based developmental model the power of to play for taking care of us, growing us up, for the emotions to go somewhere uh, to develop. And we've got these seven characteristics of true play well, observed by Gordon Newfeld, a Canadian uh, developmental psychologist. We could maybe uh, walk through this model and try to see how it might play out with video games. Sure. Shall we do that? Yeah. So... Um, some of the things we've already talked about and uh, some will be so the first one is to play is not for real it's not got real outcomes uh, repercussions yeah like you can do it you can be we could be fighting dragons if we're we're doing pretend play it can go anywhere or role play yeah I could be a chef yeah Uh, you could be my customer it's not uh, it's not, we can explore those not for real things, but it can, mm-hmm. as soon as and it does how, become yeah. real, for instance, I get, I cut myself like a child and then I go, okay, game's over. We need to get this at the place. You're out of that mode. Mm-hmm. And it you can be I mean? quite fluid mm-hmm. too, like two siblings fighting and uh, it sounds awful to us and we're shouting at them, stop it, what are you doing? And they're like, but well, we are just playing. But then someone gets really mm-hmm. hurt and they're and like, oops, that's not, that's for real now. <laughs> so we're out of that play mode. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we sometimes see that distinction, like you were mentioning earlier, of like, not so much within the game, but between the, between video games and real life. That, you know, I posted some stories not that long ago where my child was doing this driving game and, um, and they were driving like a maniac and they were like <laughs> they were like driving on sidewalks they were dri- and they were like driving up toward all these people and i was like what are you doing <laughs> and my child who is 6 years old said i'm terrorizing people 
you can imagine I was like, oh my god, we're gonna. <laughs> um, and I just said like, okay, like, why why is it okay to do that here? And they were like, oh, cause it's not real. First thing they said. That's oh, brilliant. Like, yeah. It's not real. Aww. I'm like, oh, okay. Do we do this in real life? No. No. <laughs> 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 like the like the, the as if I was the absurd one, right? I'm like, kid, you're the one <laughs> driving your car on the sidewalk. Right? <laughs> but as soon as I was like, oh, can we drive our car on the sidewalk in real life? Of course not, you know, because they've been in the car for hundreds of hours, and thankfully, I've never driven on the sidewalk. They know that's not okay. And then they're finally given the the space to be like, oh, but what if I did drive on the sidewalk? What would happen? You know, and then they get to try it out. So I think that distinction is kind of between real life and the digital world of, you know, there are certain things they know once we kind of cross over into the into real life. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to do that. Yeah. The, the, the other one, another one is just not work, which I think is uh, we could go either way with video games here. The not work is you both will know more than me because I've not played for a long time, but you have more more creative worlds now where you're not you know there's no objectives necessarily and sometimes a classic video game or tetris or you know there's a clear this is what you do so this could kind of go either way i think but yeah another one is it's not work i it's not outcome based you've not got a sticker waiting for you at the end or uh someone's not assessing you or testing you or these kind of things what are your thoughts and even on that? if it is outcome based, it's it's on you. Yeah. Like you get to decide, you know, whether or not this is an outcome I'm working toward. You know, maybe I am playing a game that has really strict level things, like I'm playing a Mario game and I know the goal is to go to the star or to get to the end. But I get to decide, you know, am I gonna do that? Am I gonna change my mind? Am I gonna do something else? And you're right, the 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 feeling of accomplishment is what you get. You know, there's there's no one at the end who's like, let's give you a sticker because you made it to the end. Um, and if video games did do that to us, we probably wouldn't enjoy them as much. <laughs> if, if they were constantly rewarding us for doing everything right, instead of kind of letting us decide what what to do and, and when we want to meet those accomplishments ourselves. That's such an interesting point. I've not thought of video games like that. To me, they are all, um, not all, all is a big word. They are, a lot of them are reward based. So they dangle that carrot, they give you the carrot or they uh, pull it away even further and they're just frustrating enough to keep you playing. Yeah, but it's ultimately up to you. Like that, that reward, reward. I use in quotes, mm. ultimately is is still a feeling of, of accomplishment, right? I, again, going back to different kinds of games, there are mm-hmm. going to be some games that do truly reward you because, again, they're trying to get your money, kind of a different thing. But if right. I'm playing, you know, something I paid up front for, you know, it's it's not going to reward you because you you are just, you get to decide what to do. And also the point of the game is to just, do what you want and have fun you already paid for it um so often the the quote-unquote reward is just your own sense of achievement and this is why a lot of educational video games often end up not being very successful because yeah in order to try to get people to learn 
they have to make learning the sole focus mm. and not fun. And so then what they tr- end up doing is they end up incentivizing learning. And so what you often see is you see, oh, if you complete this math problem, then we'll let you pop balloons or do some little video game vignette or something. And what that's essentially saying is learning isn't fun. You should do learning to get to fun. Um, Whereas if you look at a lot of of video games that are truly meant to be fun, there is a lot of potential learning that happens in there. Um, That's often, you know, kind of more critical thinking than a lot of educational video games because it's embedded within it. And that learning is itself the fun. Figuring out the level is fun. Figuring out the strategy is fun. Getting to the end and realizing, oh, I did it. I figured out how to do this is the fun, as opposed to some games that try to be more educational focused, where it's like, do this learning to get to the fun. Wow. That's fascinating. Is that the, the work? The, the work normally comes with that intrinsic motivation we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, as a teacher, if as a teacher or as a video game lover, uh, if you were to develop a video game, what would it be like? Oh, well, I've never been asked that before, and that's a fascinating <laughs> question. <sighs> I've been thinking a lot lately. I'm like doing a lot of work at school around like I mentioned earlier like media literacy and stuff and Mm -hmm. um, some of my favorite video games are actually really great tools at building you know like empathy of experiences um, Mm -hmm. which I really like and some games I've used before are great ways of talking about aspects of media literacy Um, there's this game it's web-based that I have used in the classroom before, it's called Get Bad News. And essentially what you try to do is you try to become a viral misinformation account in Twitter. Okay. And it's a way of teaching kids the like, essentially propaganda techniques that go into misinformation and how misinformation functions and how it's effective. And I've used it really successfully. Um, And I really like it because at first you just play it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm tweeting that, you know, this whatever ridiculous thing is happening and they're not thinking about it. You know, they're just trying to get the most clout. And then it's a great way of getting them to realize like, well, what did you have to do to do that? Were you lying? Were you stretching the truth? Were right. you playing on people's emotions? And it's a great way to then transfer that into getting them to think critically about the media that they encounter every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I would wish is that I want them to make a version of that that's like for TikTok because now the concept, trying to get my kids to connect with something on Twitter, they're like, Twitter's for old people, you know? <laughs> that feels so like removed from their reality um, in terms of social media. And so I want them, I want a version of that that's like, that's for more current adolescent social media, like TikTok, TikTok and Snapchat for at least over here. That's like what it's all about. <laughs> so. And that game, that was actual Twitter base. Based, it is. Right? It so they actual, simulate, uh-huh. they simulate Twitter. So it's like your tweet. I mean, it's all within the, Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, it looks like you're in Twitter, but you're really not. And so then it's, what we would call a branch narrative game, meaning that depending on the op- the choices that you make, it's going to change your outcome. And so if you, mm-hmm. it might say, do you want to tweet or like, oh no, there's a new like 
viral outbreak, for example? Like, do you want to treat this? Yeah. Do you want to tweet the factual thing or do you want to tweet the like kind of emotionally like charged? Yeah, yeah exactly. And then if you <coughs> depending on which one you choose, it's going to say, oh, well, you tweeted that and you got five followers. Or you tweeted this other thing and you got 1500 followers because it went viral. And if you want to keep getting followers, now what are you going to do? You know, it, it's been great for conversations uh, with students. That's that is a game I love. I just want to I just want a new version. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. What could you recommend more sort of sandbox type games like Minecraft Creative? Like something that is not work. Okay. So for very young children, well, mm -hmm. it's marketed toward very young children, but honestly, it is great for all ages. Like I play mm -hmm. it when I'm anxious. <laughs> there's there's a iOS based mobile game called Pock Pock, um, which is P-O-K-P-O-K. -P -O -K. Yeah. And, um, and I adore it. I mean, I absolutely adore it. And I should say I have done some paid work for them, but they don't pay me to talk about the game. So full disclosure. Um, but I start, I reached out to them and just said, Hey, your game looks cool. Like, can I try it? And, um, and I absolutely love it. I describe it as like if Montessori work were, were a game that it's really like a playroom kind of feeling. Um, and it's completely, there's no language at all. Like there's, so it's also great for, for people who are not speaking English at home, because most games are in English, um, especially for young kids. And it's just all exploratory. You know, there's like a marble run. There's a world with, you know, people and characters. There's, you know, kind of like a pegboard where they can make drawings. There's blocks. There's a, there's a little synthesizer they can play with. Um, and it's all completely just up to them. You know, the game's not coming in and saying, try this, now do this. It's just completely open. And so in that way, it feels like a sandbox for young kids. Um, but I'm not joking when I say that sometimes if I'm anxious, I'll open it. <laughs> sometimes I'll play it. Uh, so I love that. I'm not a very sandbox person, I should say. So I'm not the no. best person to ask for these recommendations. I find that kind of overwhelming, like overwhelming with choice. Um, Terraria is another pretty popular one with adolescents. People, Terraria is popular. You know, Roblox is like a platform. There's thousands mm. of games on Roblox. So I have no doubt that there are open-ended sandboxes in Roblox. I just don't necessarily always know what they are. Um, and they're all made by by individual people. So like your mileage may vary. You kind of have to try that out before maybe you turn it over to kids. Um, a great family-oriented one or one that is like great for all ages of people is Animal Crossing. <laughs> Which yeah, is, you know, a little less sandboxy, like a little less creative, but it is, you know, this, you're kind of just existing in this little world. Stardew Valley is one that I think some sandboxy people might enjoy. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a gardening one that... Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a gardener, I, I, uh, um, I'm passionate about it, and Stardew Valley just didn't, <laughs> didn't <laughs> um, fit the bill. Uh, um, and another thing I'm really curious about, I keep reading, I'm not a big gamer at all. I, I will play some Lego games with my son just, you know, just to, just to do something together, just to do something that he loves so much together. 
but I won't play in my own free time. But then I uh, read about games, including on your Instagram, you were talking about that Radiohead-based uh, oh game. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think, oh love, my god, I, game I love them so much. That's probably the one I would I would play, you know. Or oh, then yes. uh, I read about this game that um, that was really evocative for this older person because it is about an older person who is going on a quest and also reflecting on his on his parenting, the things that he things he did wrong that he can't undo anymore, and that was that kind of brought them even to tears and that was really emotional for them. Now, these um, games that have this emotional storytelling, I don't know of any for uh, the younger players. Yeah, it depends, how you, it depends how you're defining younger. And sometimes it might just be knowing that they're going to get kind of different things out of it than we will. You know, like yeah. when we watch movies with our kids and we're getting way different Definitely. things out of it. <laughs> than they are um uh yeah i that radiohead video game i wish oh that game is so good kid a amnesia uh exhibition is what that's called in the oh if you're a child of the 80s and 90s i think that's a game for you <laughs> that game is so good okay so for younger kids depends how young we're talking there are some games that i would say like kind of like late elementary early like or middle school you could probably start getting them to do but um middle school i think is probably the sweet spot for some of these middle into high school like um gone home is a game i love mm -hmm. uh we're talking about that but like probably like age 13 and up um, what Remains of Edith Finch is one of my favorite games of all time and is a, is a really great, like, emotional arc, but just deals with some more serious themes. So it's also probably like a teenage, like, early teenage game, or it's one you're playing together and just kind of being there to, like, navigate those conversations. Um, sometimes what's tricky about those games is that they're, they're not very ham-fisted with the message. You know, you kind of have to be able to read between the lines to sometimes figure out what the message mm -hmm. of the game is. Mm -hmm. And so I think unless you're doing that with your kid, it can be, they're not going to necessarily get it. Um, there's a game called The Stanley Parable, which is a lot of fun. And you could certainly play that probably ages seven or eight and up in terms of content. Uh, how much they'll get out of it without someone near them, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and then the follow-up game that he made to the Stanley Parable is called The Beginner's Guide, which is a really, like, bittersweet, interesting kind of story. Um, there's also a game I absolutely adore, one of my favorite video games that is a very traditional game on its face. Uh, but if you really are reading into the story, it's really powerful. It's called Braid. It came out in 2008. Um, it really turned games on its head in terms of, like the way it thinks of mechanics it's a side scroller game so it looks like really old mario but it uses time very interestingly uh so you're always playing the same levels over and over but time is changing how time functions or how you function and how the game functions um but there's a very um infamous emotional payoff to that game uh that kind of makes the whole game feel a little bit different it has like a twist ending um, so that can be, that could be a really interesting one. It's really interesting. 
bye bye the care and instinct i'll just start playing video games now <laughs> thanks to you i'm really starting to see them differently as a as a world created if it if it is a game you pay for straight away and there are, there's no more frustration that they artificially need to inject in it uh, to make people pay uh, you're really buying a world mm. to play mm. with mm -hmm. yeah I'll, oh i'll just tell a quick story and i wonder uh, uh, what your response would be one thing that i'm feeling as a parent and one thing that i'm a little concerned about as a parent because we say uh, that it's all about the relationship, the attachment, the relationship gives us uh, the clout we need to parent. Mm -hmm. um, if it's not done out of a relationship, then we have to uh, do it in a controlling way. And then where it, that's where it all falls apart. And by it all, I mean uh, uh, the whole dynam dynamic between the parents and the child, the discipline and all that. And one thing that I do uh, struggle with is video games do take uh, children, my child in particular, out of my orbit as a parent, you know. Um, mm. it's, it might be very hard to reach them. They just don't hear you. They don't hear you physically in the headphones. That's why um, one of my strategies for uh, turning the game off when it's mm. uh, time is mm. first, I, I believe they're wearing headphones, I will first reduce the volume mm. so that they can at least physically hear me. And then they're completely out of my orbit. I then have to start the work of collecting them of uh, you know, through touch, through asking about the game. Obviously, it's easier to meet them where they are rather than <laughs> expect them to meet you where you are. Uh, uh, but th this, is, uh, this is what I struggle with. This is what a lot of parents struggle with. And um, I do take heart in the fact that if we keep the connection going, if we talk about the games, I know somewhere in my son's Minecraft world, there is a huge sign on some mountain that says, mummy with hearts and uh, that, that <laughs> he's, he was plotting for like a week and then he spent loads of time making out of blocks in mm -hmm. uh, our favorite color orange. And so the reason that to me, it's not a, it's not maybe not, not complete a vain thing for me. Oh, there's, uh, but but to me it says that he does take his attachments into his game. You know, mm -hmm. so what I struggle with and what my fr parent friends struggle with is this keeping this connection going mm -hmm. alongside the games. They're just so engaging. They just pull them in. Yeah. So much of parenting is knowing, like, is giving your child, you know, some freedom to kind of leave your orbit while still being within it, you know, and that changes so much as they grow and how much they're within your orbit and then how much leniency they have to leave it. Um, and like, I think your example was really interesting because honestly, what that shows is that they didn't leave your orbit. They're still right there the whole time. And then maybe it's our perception 
more than it is the reality. And when we do, uh, you know, show interest in their interest and we do, you know, sometimes even ask those questions of like, what did you do today in the game? What's something you're working on? Um, what's something you're creating? What's something that went well today? What's something that was hard? Then all of a sudden we are in their orbit. You know, maybe it's reframing it a bit of saying like, well, their orbit's getting bigger. And are we going to adapt our orbit to include theirs? If that makes sense. That's um, very well put. Yeah, because, you know, there's they're they're not saying don't come in, you know, and they're they're probably going to invite us in if we are kind of willing to kind of take that step forward. And then we're also showing them, I care about this. I care about this because I care about you. Yeah. Right? It's it's not that I care about Minecraft. I could not care less about Minecraft. I care about my kid. And I care about what my kid is interested in. And that would be true if they were playing lacrosse or if they were doing, you know, knitting. And it's also true for the video games they play when we show interest in them and their interests, then their orbit can expand to include us. Yes, that makes so much sense. And thank you for helping parents who have not got the time or the interest for video games to oh, just to know a little bit more. Thank you so much. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you, Ash. Thank you so much for having me.